0: Time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Got some more thoughts about the green Bible. Yeah, yeah, apparently that'd be a great idea. They should sell the green Bible at Armstrong Nurseries. That's a good idea, John. I, I agree with you get it at armstrong nurseries they can sell it at uh you know like sierra club stores uh, you know the whole green bible thing has just got me wondering you know will there be church-wide campaigns that come about as a result of the green bible oh absolutely the 40 days of recycling you know that see that'd be a great you know campaign you know they, they remember the uh sorry about this warning uh, for you uh People with small children, this may not uh, be a good analogy. <clears throat> uh, they have the, uh, remember that triple uh, X church? They said that every time that you uh, uh, spank the monkey or flog a dolphin that uh, God kills a kitten. So we can have a, a green Bible version of that, that every time you uh, you start your SUV, God kills a tree. See, that. See, we, there's, there, the, the ideas here are limitless. And, uh, you know, so, oh, that's right. Remember the, the live like you're dying campaign. Uh, we can, we can modify that for the green Bible. It could be the live like the planet is dying campaign. <sighs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. See the, the, the ideas are limitless here. And so, <laughs> in fact, we got quite a bit of email about the green Bible. Um, uh, Scott, uh, writes, uh, S- Scott from Osmond, Illinois, he writes that he thinks that the Green Bible will actually end up refuting itself. He he, he has a few thoughts. I, I'll share with you some of Scott's thoughts. He says, If the people who put together the Green Bible use a somewhat reasonable already published translation, I think it's the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. Um, I'm not sure if that's the... You know, it's it's somewhat liberal, but not too bad. Um, Or for that matter, a paraphrase... The text would run the risk of refuting any article that makes the Green Bible a specialty Bible. You know, I agree with you, Scott. You know, here's the deal. If you've got people out there trying to make the case that uh, the Green Bible is uh, the thing to be, and then they write articles in it, and you know, I think it'd be really, really gutsy of them to take some of these out-of-context verses, uh, you know, from these, uh, take some of these articles that have these out-of-context verses and publish them right next to the verses that that talk about the Green Bible, um, what does what he asks? What business does a hospital doctor have uh, putting together a Bible, especially with such laughable credentials? As it is, he cannot rightly distinguish between Christianity and pagan pantheism. Well, you see, Scott, you know you're being judgmental here. It doesn't matter if he's a doctor and he has no he has no credentials or letters behind a name in theology. See, he's experienced a transformed life, so those are credentials enough. You see, you, you just got to think here with a with a broader mind. Uh um would anybody like to take up a collection to send the author the bible in an hour by wade butler <laughs> that's a great little resource have you heard that the bible in an hour it's pretty good um how about this uh how about how can this man practice medicine if he can't even correctly peg the largest source of oxygen on the planet is uh as phytoplankton not trees yeah see that's a great point See, the, you know, we should be worried more about the oceans than we should about the, the trees because, I mean, the majority of our oxygen actually comes from offshore. You know, with a, two-thirds of the earth being covered by water and, uh, and our, the bulk of our oxygen supply is really not from trees. It's from phytoplankton and, and kelp and things like that. But, you know, who's quibbling here? You can't hug a kelp. You can't hug a phytoplankton. That just, you know, would you have to make a big phytoplankton plush doll with a what would Jesus do uh, wristband on his, you know, so that you can, yeah. See, it gets too complicated when you do that, but people can hug trees because, you know, they can see them. Is the Green Bible a living Bible? It, well, see, that's a good point. Well, that, see, that's a great question. He says, "Is is John asks, is the Green Bible a living bible well technically no it's made from recycled paper so that that's that those are trees that are twice dead you know it, it's not just that are dead once they're, they're dead twice you know what's funny is i remember somebody out there saying don't don't use stuff with recycled paper because the, what it takes to to process paper and make it usable again the second time is is worse for the environment than doing it the first time but i don't know if that's true you know i just i somebody made that claim and i was scratching my head it, it, it you know what that reminds me of um there was a big debate you know this is probably about 10 years ago about the effects of secondhand smoke and somebody had actually published a study saying that secondhand smoke is actually deadlier than first hand smoke my response after hearing the study is well then you know i better get smoking if i want to protect myself you know cuz if that second hand smoke is deadlier than the first hand stuff then i want that first hand stuff so that i don't get cancer i know it's kind of a twisted way of thinking about this <laughs> okay <clears throat> let's see i'm anxious to see what they've written in green print i'm guessing there there isn't that much actually what's really funny is is that if you go to greenletterbible.com let me see if that's it's it's .com or .org it's the Green Letter Bible, it is their website. Let's see here. Let's see if I have it. Green Letter Bible. It's greenletterbible.com. If you go to the greenletterbible.com and go to the About page, they have, they have the little, you follow the green leaves, and you can go to the About page. They have a, a, a link that you can click on that you can read samples from the Green Letter Bible. And what's funny is, is that just about any time the earth is mentioned, For God so loved the world. See, see, he said world. Let's put that in green. You know, (laughs) he gave his only begotten son. See, that means that God actually, Christ died for the planet. You know, for for Mother Earth, for the sins of Mother Earth. Uh, You know, it's just, it's the kind of stuff that just makes you crazy. So, I mean, yeah, if you want to see samples of what's in green, you can actually go to greenletterbible.com, click on about, and then follow the link that they have there to, you know, to see uh, segments of the green letter Bible. And then you can <clears throat> go from there. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Scott writes, it says that, uh, this is the only planet we have, maybe so, but I remember singing in, in a hymn once or twice, I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. Well, see, that's a, a really narrow way of looking at it. Just, you know, you're not seeing this with, with green eyes, you know, and you know that, that that is a whole new dimension. If you were to you know to preach a series on uh, theologians for your noggin's part two, you know then you, I you you need to read the Lorax at church. I am the Lorax. I speak for the trees. I speak for the rocks. I speak for the bees. I can't believe I did that from memory. He's the lily of the valley. Okay. Yeah. Um, hmm. <laughs> So, okay, so you know, so Scott, you've got some great points there. Um, ben writes, Benjamin writes regarding the shack. He says, I haven't read the book, but your description of the character portraying Papa really reminds me of the Oracle from the Matrix. You know, I agree with you on that one, Benjamin. Um, the Oracle from the Matrix, is just that sounds about right to me. The Oracle was also a black woman that seemed a bit uh, like Aunt Jemima, and was all-knowing in the story. I wonder if the author of the shack is a fan of the Matrix as, as well. The theology is just as accurate. You know, actually, I I hate to say this, the theology in the in the Matrix is, Matrix is probably a little more accurate than the shack. <laughs> and why is that? Because the Matrix, at least the first one, the other two are kind of like not worth the time and you know unless you just really like watching two full hours of non-stop kung fu fighting um which is pretty much all that that you know this the second one um <clears throat> second and third one in oh there's some mythological elements but the first one in, in, engages in some deep myth and uh you, you know you you get a good uh Christ figure mythology going on there. So the 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 I see I think the theology in the the original matrix is much better than the shack. So um, just you know thought I'd share that with you. All right, moving along. Now a few weeks ago I talked about a, an article uh, that was out there uh, regarding the book called Leaving Church, and uh, the Washington Times has a a, a, a video of the author. Talking about her book, and I, I've got to share this with you. I've posted it up at extremetheology.com. dot yeah, com. you're probably going, how many websites does Rosebro have? Answer: Too many. <laughs> Too many. At theology dot com, I have this video posted, and it's the author of uh, the book Leaving Church, and she's talking about some of her discoveries and what she, you know, what she's uh, experienced. It. Uh, in her research, and why people are leaving. And uh, it, at the top of the post, I said, it looks like the church growth movement is the cause of major church shrinkage. So, um, you know, and she's going to talk about this and why uh, faithful people are leaving the church. And uh would love to uh, just get your feedback on this one. But uh, here we go. Here's the author of uh, Leaving Church.
1: This Sunday, the Washington Times will be carrying an excerpt of my new book.
0: Her name is Julia Dewin, by the way, and so she's really excited because the Washington Times is carrying an excerpt of her book, Leaving Church. Let's continue.
1: Waiting Church. Uh, It took me about a year to research this, and the subtitle is, Why the Faithful Are Fleeing and What to Do About It. This is about why a group known as America's Evangelical Christians are not well, are not growing in church. In fact, a lot of them aren't there at all. Everyone says, oh, 25% of the population, but it turns out that a lot of people are fleeing church. According to George Barna, who is one of the foremost pollsters of evangelicals, one million people are dropping out of church a year.
0: Uh, One million? According to Barna, a million people are dropping out of church a year. how How many of those people are crumping and dying? You know, we we would expect that some, some losses would occur from natural causes or unnatural causes, death being uh, one of those. Um, but uh, we're losing a million people in church a year? Um, how many years before we're down to zero? Uh, well, anyway, let's continue with uh, Julia doing here.
1: That equivalent. Well, that that was pretty interesting. And that's why I started looking into why people are leaving. And it is quite a fascinating story. Why are people leaving church? Well, there are several reasons. A lot of them feel it's irrelevant or it's dumbed down. Like the many churches are cast for kind of a beginner Christian type of person. And most people have have kind of grown beyond that. After about five years, you're no longer a newbie. <laughs>
0: Okay. Um this reminds me of uh Granger Community Church and Willow Creek who've done the Reveal Now study and gasp couldn't you believe it the uh, the people who are most mature in the Christian faith say they are the least satisfied with church and uh, this woman has uh, discovered the same thing. You know I got to tell you if I if I had to attend Willow Creek Saddleback uh Granger any church like that I I would be pulling my skin off every Sunday. Because these churches just do not go deep at all. I mean, this is, it's not even Christianity for for newbies. It's not, it's, it's vacuous and completely lacking in content and any real depth. And, uh, you know, and what's Willow Creek's, what's Bill Hybels' famous uh, line regarding this? Well, what we need to do is we need to teach the mature in Christ to be self-feeders. See, it's your fault that you grew past the newbie stage, and you're bored to tears with the the mindless drivel that we're calling sermons nowadays. Uh, yeah, so you know what it is? It's basically just a bunch of selfish Christians leaving church, having a temper tantrum because they don't want to be self-feeders. They just need to grow up and buck up, you know, and pull up their big pant their big pants and put on their 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 adult clothing and and learn how to feed themselves. Uh huh. I don't think so. Yeah, you know, when your church doesn't have enough theology to fill a gnat's navel on a Sunday, you know, there's a problem. You know, what's funny is that somebody you know emailed me. I was, I remember I was talking about going to two hours a day a few weeks ago, and the guy wrote a guy emailed me and said that, uh, well, you do you have more scripture in an hour on your program than any of these seeker-sensitive churches do in a month at their church.
1: Whew. <clears throat>
0: Let that be an indictment. Anyway, let's continue.
1: And so there aren't plenty of reasons. There's like women who feel like churches really do not speak to them unless they're stay-at-home moms, in which, I mean, we've all seen Sarah Palin. Not everybody's a stay-at-home mom these days. Then there's singles who are leaving churches by the ton. And, of course, we've all heard about how men aren't coming to church. Well, yeah. Uh,
0: you want to know why men aren't coming to church? I can tell you exactly why. Here, It's songs like this. This is the air I breathe. Jesus, you're my girlfriend, and I want to kiss you on the lips. I will not sing that garbage. And most men are not going to be drugged to a church and and be forced to sing that that girly, sissy... This is the air I breathe. Jesus and Bambi running through the
1: forest. Oh, sorry. And then there's, been, there's even books out about how young people are disaffected. It seems like everybody's not going. Well, actually, I mean, there are people going to church, but the numbers really are falling off. And with Southern Baptists, baptisms are dropping. And
0: yeah, because the Southern Baptists have pretty much gone purpose-driven.
1: There are just many, many groups that are having problems with it. And, and so many people are they're meeting in home groups, or they're just they're just not going at all. The seeker-friendly movement, people ask me about that a lot. And there, that was a movement that started mainly in the early 90s, late 80s, to try to make church more understandable to the typical non-believer. But I think it's backfired. What happened is services were changed from maybe two hours to about an hour and 15 minutes. And again, it was just dumbed down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> again, it was just dumbed down yeah we can basically the seeker sensitive movement also known as church for dummies and not in and not in the helpful sense you know those they have that that uh you know welding for dummies uh you know home framing for dummies you know golf for dummies things like, those are supposed to be helpful this the seeker sensitive movement is not helpful because it stays stupid you know oh, geez.
1: and folks started leaving they kind of figured like gee i Go to church, and always says hi to me. I don't like the worship. The sermon is like for juveniles. Why? (laughs) I
0: love the fact that I'm not the one saying this. Get this the (laughs) the service is for
2: juveniles.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, Chris, stop being so judgmental. You have to be you have to understand that uh, that you're just selfish because you go to a church that where your pastor feeds you every Sunday. And they have Sunday school class, and you guys go deep in the scriptures. You guys are just selfish. You know, I you know, I'm absolutely convinced that the churches who've stuck to their guns, and the pastor has not given in, to the seeker-sensitive, purpose-driven, mindless way of doing church and have actually done the hard work of a pastor, feeding their sheep Sunday after Sunday with sermons from God's Word, correctly dividing law and gospel, giving people Christ and Him crucified, they ought to go on the attack at this point. They ought to go on the attack from a marketing point of view. And he, he, let me give you some, po- uh, some postcard campaign ideas that you can do for your church. Uh, what you can do, have, have you seen the pictures that came out of Andersonville during the Civil War where the, uh, the, the Confederates starved the Union soldiers to death at Andersonville? I would say take a picture of somebody like, like Scarecrow Thin like from Andersonville and say, is this how your church leaves you? Are you starving for the word? Come to our church. We'll give you a real meal. You don't have to survive on bread and water, or you can. What you can do is you can have a, a postcard campaign where you have you show two different plates. One plate has a Twinkie and some jelly beans on it, and the other plate has like a steak dinner with the potatoes and the sour cream and a salad and a dessert on the side. And say, now if the sermon's a meal, what are you being fed? Come to our church; we'll feed you. I'm serious. It is time for churches who have been faithfully preaching and teaching God's word to get the word out that if you're starving at your church and you're tired of the mindless, mind numbing, ridiculously shallow, juvenile, girly, self-help, pop psychology, spirituality and drivel that's being passed off as church nowadays, that there is a place where they can still go and get a meal that they can still go and hear God's word, hear that Christ died for them, and that you, and that your church is going to feed them God's word. And you're not going to skim over it. You're going to d- dive into it, go into the deep end, and take people deeper. And then what will happen is the seeker-sensitive pastors will send you an email and say, that's so unloving and so unkind and so irrelevant. No one wants to hear that kind of stuff. <sighs> They want to hear about their sex life. They want to hear about how to balance their checkbook and do good in their finances. Give me a break.
1: Am I here? And so they're not there. And th- again, this is all about evangelicals, which is a big group. Catholics are feeling a lot the same way, too. I'm not going to leave them out. And we all know that mainline Protestant church figures have been dropping like, like a stone for 20, 30 years. But these are evangelicals. And supposedly, even though Gallup says about 40% are not church, it's closer to
0: 20%. <laughs> oh, the population of uh, the church has dropped in America from 40% to 20%. Thank you, Seeker Sensitive, Mindless Dribble Movement. (sighs) How do I really feel about that? Anyways, uh, it's with that in mind that um, we're going to begin what we're going to talk about for the remainder of the program. Talk about Mindless Dribble. Um, Switching gears here to talk about uh, Rick Warren's 40 Days of Love campaign at Saddleback Church. I promised you yesterday that I had a a section that i that uh, I wanted to play for you that I think that sounds gospel ish now let me help you let me remind you of the categories in which the scripture operates, okay not this is not Roseboro's opinion. this is scripture's opinion. The purpose of the law is to show you your sin Romans three twenty okay and the law of God is summed up in the two commands. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus himself says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Something you need to keep in mind. Every single time you sin, you're guilty of breaking the first commandment along with whatever else you've broken. Every single time you sin, you're guilty of not loving God with all your heart. Okay? So, we're going to listen to a segment from the 40 Days of Love and uh, Rick Warren's going to tell you the gospel. Now, I'm going to say this up front: you're going to hear the gospel. It's going to be in there. But uh, uh, what is that Greek guy from tantalizing? You know, what I'm talking about Tantal. Okay, there's a, there's a Greek myth, and uh, it, it's where we get the word tantalizing from. It's this guy literally standing in a pool of water with a uh, with with a tree full of fruit standing above his head. And the guy is starving to death and he's literally, you know, he's he's parched as as a, as a rock because he's thirsty. Every time he stoops down to, you know, to get a drink of water, the water moves away from him and he can't get it, get it. And every time he reaches up to grab a piece of fruit, the tree moves out of his way, just out of his reach where he can't get any fruit. Talk about an endless punishment. You know, this is where we get the word "tantalizing" from. It's from this Greek myth. This Greek myth regarding tantal. And um, this is an example of something that is quote tantalizing. Rick Warren is going to hold the fruit of the gospel up for you. He's going to wave it around your face. It's just going to be within reach, and just as you're about ready to think, okay, I can grab the gospel, he's going to put a contingency on this thing that is horrible. He's going to put a contingency on it that makes it so you will never be able to get the good news. He'll wave it in front of your face and say, this is the good news, and then say, in order to get this good news, you have to do this. And listen carefully and see if you can hear what Rick Warren says you need to do in order to uh, get God's forgiveness. This is from last week's 40 Days of Love sermon.
2: Number three, and this is a big one, love compensates for my sin. Love compensates for my sin. Now this is really good news when you understand it. It means that when I blow it, when I make mistakes, when I sin, when I fault, make faults and fumbles, that God says, you know what? My my first question is not, did he sin? My first question is, does he love me? Does he love my son, Jesus Christ?
0: Stop right there. God, Rick Warren is saying that love compensates for your sin and that God's first question when your sin is not, did that person sin, but do they love me? Hmm. Remember, love is the law love is the law it's not the gospel so when you sin do you love god answer no if you love me you would obey my commandments if you've broken a commandment you're showing that you don't love god and the law is accusing you right it's a subtle little trick but it's tantalizing nonetheless let's continue as he describes the gospel
2: does she love me? To, because if she does, we're going to just cover over that sin. We're going to compensate for it because we know that he's imperfect or she's imperfect.
0: Okay, I've I've got to play that again. So if you've sinned, God's going to say, if you love me, we're going to cover that up. Here Number it is. Number
2: three, and this is a big one. Oh, man, I messed it up. Number three, and this is a big one. Love compensates for my sin. Love compensates... Number three, and this is a big one, love compensates.
0: Whoa, what happened there? Oh, I see what happened there. All right, here.
2: Mistakes. When I sin, when I fault, make faults and fumbles, that God says, you know what? My, My first question is not, did he sin? My first question is, does he love me? Does he love my son, Jesus Christ? Does she love me? Because if she does, we're going to just cover over that sin. We're going to compensate for it because we know that he's imperfect or she's imperfect.
0: So if you love God, then God's going to cover up your sin. Mm -hmm.
2: What matters most is do they love me?
0: Uh, The answer to to that problem, Rick, is that we we don't and you don't either.
2: Look at this next verse. Let's read it aloud together. 1 Peter 4, 8. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? Love covers a multitude of sins? Well, it-
0: well, in context, it's, Peter's talking about our love towards each other. But let's see how he interprets
2: this. Well, it has two meanings. First, it means when you love Jesus Christ and he loves you, it covers up all your sins that you've ever done. If you
0: love Jesus Christ, then it covers up all your sins. In other words, if you keep the law and love God, then it will cover up your sins. Is that grace then or is it works? The answer is works. It is not grace. Let me play that again.
2: What does that mean? Love covers a multitude of sins? Well, it has two meanings. First, it means when you love Jesus Christ and He loves you, it covers up all your sins that you've ever done. When Jesus Christ came to earth and died on the cross and stretched out His hands, He said, I love you this much. This is how much I love you.
0: Big teddy bear hug. I love you this much.
2: I'm willing to die for you. And I'm willing to pay the punishment for all the laws, the moral laws you've broken.
0: Now, this is the section where he's going to actually explain the gospel correctly. He's going to tell you correctly what the gospel is, but he's going to put a contingency on it that makes it impossible for it to apply to you. Let's continue.
2: And I'll take your rap. I'll do your time. I'll serve your sentence. I'll pay your debt. And Jesus says, because I love you, everything you've ever done... And everything you ever will do that is wrong will be forgiven. Is that good news, by the way?
0: Yeah, that that part's good news, Rick. Everything I've ever done will be forgiven. Everything I ever will do will be forgiven. That's good news. So how do I get this? How does this apply to me?
2: That is good news. That is very good news. And the Bible says that the love of Jesus Christ covers my sins. He says, we're going to take a blanket. We're just going to cover it all up. Nobody can see it. Because I want... You, God says, in heaven, heaven's perfect and you're not.
0: So far, so good here.
2: We got a problem. We got to deal with all of your imperfections.
0: Yeah, I got a lot of them, a ton of them, just today.
2: Jesus says, I will go to earth, I will die for them, I will die on the cross, I will show them how much I love them, and my love, if they will accept my love, Uh, it will cover all their sins so they don't have to pay pay for them anymore. That's good news. Okay,
0: so that's the good news. Christ has died for all of your sins. He's going to cover all of your sins. And, and he's talking about Jesus' love for us. Now, let's see how this plays out in the sermon.
2: Now, the history of the world is that God uses imperfect people. He uses, quote, sinners to get the job done. He uses everybody who's imperfect, but who loves him.
0: He uses everybody who's imperfect but who loves him. I'm going to challenge that from Hebrews 11, but let's continue with a quote and we'll uh, we'll go from there.
2: One of the great stories in the Bible is the story of King David. He was the king of Israel. And uh, uh, David was not exactly a perfect guy. In fact, he blew it a lot. Uh, He lied, he cheated, uh, he stole another guy's wife, he committed adultery, and then he had that guy murdered to cover up his sin. Not exactly a nice guy.
0: I would say he was a sinner.
2: But the one thing about David is that when David blew it, he admitted it quickly. And he would repent. No,
0: actually, I remember Nathan the prophet visiting. You, you remember the whole Bathsheba thing? Okay, let, <clears throat> it says that he admitted it quickly. All right. Um, no. Um, in fact, uh, David had that particular sin. He was covering that one up. Big time. In fact, okay, so there's Bathsheba bathing naked outside of the palace. We, What was she doing there? Um, mm-hmm. So David takes one look at her and says, Hey, let's invite her to dinner. <laughs> My kind of girl. And uh, he does Bill Clinton with her. And, um, and uh, she gets pregnant after he commits adultery with her. And um, he has... Her husband murdered, and he didn't repent and God sends Nathan the prophet, Nathan the prophet comes and visits David and tells David this little story about a guy who owned a little lamb, and the little lamb was like a pet to his family, and his rich neighbor you know, uh absconded the little lamb and and barbecued it and gave it to his guests for dinner and uh, David got really upset and just was all upset to hear the story about this poor man who had his little lamb barbecued and nathan says to, to david you're the man you're the one who did it <laughs> so uh, uh no uh rick we've got a historical issue here you're not being biblically correct but uh anyway we're gonna have to go into our break here and uh when we get back we will listen to the rest of this Rick Warren quote We'll do some biblical analysis And just so you know that I'm not picking on Rick What I did is I did some drive-by uh, phone calls today I called three different pastors Played the sound clip for them And asked them, is this good news? Is, is this the good news of the of the gospel? To Just get some feedback And uh, you'll be interested to hear What these uh, other pastors had to say So um, if you would like to email me talk about how we need to continue doing stupid church as people leave in droves because we have to be relevant and uh, you like sissy girly songs that sing about jesus as your girlfriend Uh, you can do do so talk back at fightingforthefaith.com that's talk back at fightingforthefaith.com we'll be right back
3: You're listening to Pirate
4: Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the First Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, The mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are hand-picked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour, Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
0: All right, welcome back to Fighting for the Faith. We're in the middle of uh, doing some analysis of Rick Warren's presentation of the gospel from last Sunday's sermon from the 40 Days of Love. Just got done hearing him present the gospel, and he uh, did get it right. But uh, there's some contingencies about to come, o- come on the scene here that you're going to need to hear. Um, and see if you live up to the contingencies of the gospel as presented by Rick Warren. And we'll do some biblical analysis, and then we'll play for you some reactions from uh, several pastors that I called today and uh, recorded their conversations after they heard this particular segment from Rick Warren's sermon. And I asked them, basi- basically, is this the good news of the gospel? Is this good news and uh you'll hear their reactions. I, today we we interviewed uh Jeremy Rody from Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California. He's one of my pastors. We interviewed Pastor Craig DeNofrio from uh Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Pasadena. And uh we also interviewed uh Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, uh one of the hosts of Table Talk Radio and uh and uh, Pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado to uh hear what they had to say about uh they Just get their reactions to this gospel presentation from Rick Warren's 40 Days of Love. Well, we continue. We just corrected Rick Warren about how David was quick to uh, confess his sins. Uh, in, the, in the case of Bathsheba, that adultery, and then the murder, uh, David wasn't so quick. No, um, yeah, he covered things up, and it took the prophet Nathan to come and visit him on that one. But, I mean, that's just a trivialing. who cares? That's, I'm being biblically nitpicky. We continue.
2: And quickly says, I'm so sorry, God. I shouldn't have done that. I'm blew. And I really love you. And David, even in the middle of all of his mess-ups, he loved God. I, you know, I want to do what's right. I don't always do it, but I want to do what's right. And I love you, Lord. And God says about David, that is a man after my own heart.
0: Was it because David loved God or because David had faith? I'm going to start opening up this uh, this question here quickly. If you have your Bibles, you might want to go to Hebrews chapter 11 and get ready because I'm going to be there pretty soon. But um, let's uh, let's continue.
2: Now that's both confusing and comforting. It's confusing. You know, how can you say that guy's a man after your own heart? He's just blowing it and making it all... And then it's comforting because he says, You know what? I'm going to cover over his sins because he loves me. Did
0: you hear that? Rick Warren said that God said that he's going to cover over David's sin because David loves him. Is that the reason why or is it because David had faith? We're going to have to go to Hebrews 11 now. I just, I'm just i going to have to do this at this moment, or I'm going to explode. I can just feel it. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11. Um, is this the, uh, the great hall of love passage, or is this the great hall of faith passage? Let me read it to you. Uh, let me read this verse. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that it was seen and what and what was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was confirmed commended as righteous, God commending him as accepting his gift. And through his faith though he died he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him away. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Rick isn't here talking about faith. He's not talking about trust in God. He's talking about love. Love is the law. Now, let me reread this passage. And I'll read it through the love lens and see how it works. Now, love is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By loving God with all of our heart, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what was seen was not made out of the things that are visible. By loving God with all of his heart, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. Does it work that way? No, it doesn't. And that's not what the passage says. And what Rick is doing here is he's making love the most important thing when it's faith that's the most important thing. It's faith in God, that, which is a gift, by the way. God gives us faith as a gift. The fruit of faith is love and obedience. That love and obedience springs from faith that trusts and grasps Christ. He's skipping the faith piece of it and going right to the obedience. In other words, it's naked obedience. It's naked law-keeping. And he's saying that your sins are forgiven if you love God. The point is, is that if you're sinning, that proves that you don't love God. Let me rewind
2: this a little bit.
0: Because this passage is just oh so good. Uh, Not really. Listen to Rick Warren again.
2: Now that's both confusing and comforting. It's confusing. You know, how can you say that guy's a man after your own heart? He's just blowing it and making it all. My, and then it's comforting because he says, you know what? I'm going to cover over his sins because he loves me.
0: No, he trusts. He has faith in God. If he truly, really, 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 really loved God with all of his heart, he wouldn't have been boinking Bathsheba. If, if David truly loved God with all of his heart, then David could have died on the cross for our sins.
2: Now get this if you don't get anything else. More important than you being perfect is that you love God with all your heart.
0: Uh, I don't, Rick, and neither do you.
2: God doesn't expect you to be perfect. And-
0: be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is, is perfect. That's what Christ said.
2: In fact, he knows you can't be perfect. In fact, you stopped being perfect a long, long time ago. So forget that one. And what matters is not that you haven't screwed up in life or messed up in life. What matters is, do you love God with all your heart?
0: I wouldn't be screwing up and messing up, Rick, if I really loved God with all of my heart. Every single time you sin and I sin, we confirm and demonstrate that we do not love God with all of our heart. If we did, we wouldn't sin.
2: And Love your neighbor as yourself. God says if you do that, it will cover a multitude of sins. Isn't that good news?
0: Uh, no, it's not. In fact, what you've just done is made my law-keeping a contingency for God's forgiveness. Let me hear. I want you to hear this again in context. Listen carefully. At the end of this, he's going to to say that what's important is that you love God and that you love your neighbor as yourself, and that because of that, you're going to have a multitude of sins forgiven. He's making God's forgiveness contingent upon your law-keeping. And if you believe this, you are going to hell.
2: So forget that one. And what matters is not that you haven't screwed up in life or messed up in life. What matters is, do you love God with all your heart? Love your neighbor as yourself. God says if you do that, it will cover a multitude of sins. Isn't that good news?
0: No, that's not good news. Let's continue.
2: You know why God uses me?
0: Oh, I can't wait to hear the answer to this one.
2: It's not because I'm so handsome. (laughs) It's not because I'm perfect. Oh, no, no. Your pastor, I sin a lot. I'm okay, I just
0: want, I, I want you to hear this. Rick Warren is saying, he's confessing, and it sounds humble, that he sins a lot. Okay, he's just confessed that he sins a lot. And by the way, so do I, and so do you. Okay, but listen to this next statement.
2: I make a lot of mistakes. I have weaknesses. I have faults. I have failures. I flub up. I make bad decisions. And and in spite of all my sins, God uses me in spite of my imperfections. Why? Because God knows in the depth of my heart, I love Jesus Christ.
0: No, you don't. You just said you sinned. And you, you, you blow it all the time. If you loved Christ perfectly with all of your heart, then you would not be sinning, Rick Warren. You're lying when you say that you love God with all of your heart, and you're making Christ's forgiveness contingent upon our love. This is not, not good news. In fact, this is really, really bad news. Romans 13.10 says that love is the fulfillment of the law. The law. Okay. Let me read a couple of passages, more passages to you. And uh, I'm going to substitute some words here and see if you can catch what I'm substituting. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever loves God with all of his heart uh, should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever loves God with all of his heart is not condemned, but whoever does not love God with all of his heart is condemned already because he has not loved God with all of his heart. Does that make the point? Let me read it to you correctly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him. Now, we don't see this in the English, but I'm going to explain this to you from the Greek. Okay. Faith or belief is a noun and it's a verb. The verb to believe is pistis. It means to have trust, to have trust or to believe the noun version of it is pistuo. Okay. Okay. And so what's interesting here is that belief and faith grammatically and from the Greek are are interconnected, they're intertwined. You don't get it as much here in the English because you don't see that they come off the same root. In the Greek, they come off the same root words, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes, you can literally translate that as has faith in him, should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes has faith in him is not condemned. It doesn't say whoever loves God with all of his heart. It says whoever believes. That's the text. Rick Warren is telling you a lie about the gospel. Let me give you another one. John chapter 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and loves God with all of his heart has eternal life. He does not come to judgment, but has passed from death to life. Is that what that passage says? No, it's not. John five twenty four says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come to judgment, but has passed from death to life. Believe, trust, have faith in Christ that is what I mean that's and even that faith is given to us as a gift Ephesians 2.8.9 for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not of yourself it being faith it is the gift of God even the ability to believe to ha- put your trust in Christ is given to you as a, as a gift literally given to you by God through the hearing and the preaching of the gospel oh <sighs> Let me read another passage to you. I won't twist it this time uh, when this is from John chapter six verses twenty five through t- uh, twenty nine talking about some people who found Jesus. It says when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, "Rabbi, when did you come here?" Well Jesus answered, "Well, truly, truly, I say to you that you are seeking me not because you saw, but not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves." Do not labor for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So they said to him, Well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? $24 million question is found in John chapter 6, verse 28. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Did Jesus say, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart? And love your neighbor as yourself? Absolutely not. That is not what he said. Did he say, do a purpose-driven campaign, join the peace plan, get into a small group? Anything like that? Tithe? Wear Hawaiian shirts? No. Actually, Rick doesn't wear Hawaiian shirts anymore. He's gotten cooler shirts than that. I lust after his shirts. I'm kidding. No. So, what must we be doing to doing the works of God? Here's Jesus's answer. Are you ready? This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. Trust in the one he has sent. That's the work of God. John 11:25 and 26. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He didn't say whoever loves God with all of his heart will live. He says whoever believes. Why is this missing from Rick Warren's presentation of the gospel? Why is he making love the contingency by which we receive the forgiveness of sins? Does he not know what the scriptures teach? I thought the Southern Baptists believed that we are saved by faith through grace. Why is this Southern Baptist minister teaching salvation and forgiveness based upon the law? I'm serious. Rick Warren really needs to be brought up on, doctrine, uh, fa- on false doctrine charges. Oh, well, yeah, it fits this program anyway what i 'm going to do now is i 'm going to switch gears. I told you I did some drive by stuff, and the audio quality isn 't that good we 're still kind of working out the levels on some of our equipment, so I apologize ahead of time for the uh, the quality here but stay stay with it anyways and the reason i 'd like you to stay with it is because uh you know i've I asked pastor Rody I asked Pastor DeNofrio. And I asked um, uh, Pastor Wolf Mueller their responses after listening to Rick Warren's explanation of the gospel, whether or not that was really good news or not. And so I apologize ahead of time that the quality isn't the best. And I've done my best to clean it up, but um, it's worth hearing. We'll start with Pastor Rody here and uh, get Pastor Rody's response to, you know, right after he's, Rick Warren basically says that, you know, God will forgive you if you love Him with your your whole heart. I, you know, is this good? Isn't that good news? Um, here's uh, Pastor Rody from Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California. There it is.
3: Wow. So, is that the gospel? It started out with the gospel. Yeah. I mean, I, when he, uh, you know, when he's talking about Jesus uh, being the one who so loved us, and Jesus loved being. The reason why our sins are covered—that's the gospel. But then it gets twisted right away into now this is contingent upon us loving God in return. Right. And see, that's where it gets into this: uh, uh, love compensates for my sin. It gets right back into that very first comment that He made.
0: Okay, so um, if I'm reading, if I'm hearing Him correctly, and uh, God's forgiveness is contingent upon my loving God, then uh, then I'm not forgiven.
3: Uh, well, yeah, right. I mean, that's that's the see, and there's, there's the problem with it, with the twisting of law and gospel. I mean, when it's gospel, it's it's God's love, it's God doing it, it's independent of you, it's sure and certain. As soon as it gets set back on you, as if well, it's up to you to love, and your love needs to outbalance your sin, and your love needs to cover your sin, and uh, or God covers your sin because you love Him. Whenever it's like that, it's put it's put back on you, and it's uncertain, and it's wavering, and it's subject to all of our faults and foibles as sinful human beings. So, in other words, it completely negates it. Wow.
0: All right. Well, maybe I just didn't. Uh, I, I wasn't imagining that. <laughs> it just uh, sounded like uh, the law to me. I mean, doesn't Jesus say, "If you love me, you'll keep my commandments"?
3: Yes, that is what he says.
0: So isn't it when we sin that that's a lack of love for God?
3: I'm sorry, say again? If, if we're sinning, doesn't that really show that we don't love God? Well, yeah, it completely does. And, you know, where Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, I think we frequently take a too narrow view of that, and we just think, oh, the Ten Commandments, that's what it means. And we turn that entire thing into law, um, which if you, if you take it with that understanding, it is law. But the other thing to remember is when Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments, um, at least one of the places where he says that is John and uh, the the institution of the Lord's Supper is not there. in John, if you line it up chronologically uh, with the other Gospels, Jesus had had just instituted the Lord's Supper um, previous to saying those words, If you love me, keep my commandments. So what I think Jesus really has in mind there is is the whole kit and caboodle, the gospel and law, so to speak, right. everything I have to say. If you love my word, keep it type of thing. Right. Now, of course, the law, you know, that's great and wonderful, and it's full of gospel because there's gospel commands in there. Take eat, take drink, uh, you know, be baptized, um, that type of thing. But now, of course, the law always accuses, and that's one of the great insights of the Reformation. So... As soon as you say, "If you love me, keep my commandments," you think, "Well, geez, even the ones I do love, and even the ones that are pure gospel, I don't keep." And so already
0: the law is back accusing you. Right. Okay. So that's uh, one pastor's response. That's uh, Pastor Jeremy Rohde. I'm You know, I'm going to go. I'm going to do Wolf next because yeah, Donofrio's is the hardest to make out. So. <laughs> And Wolfmuller, yeah, Wolfmuller is the easiest one to make out. So we'll we'll do Wolfmuller right now. So one of the pastors I've uh you know, I've played this t- for has basically said that Rick Warren struck out. Uh let's see if uh if another pastor thinks that Rick Warren struck struck out. So uh, again, I just played the quote for Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. And uh, ask and ask the question. Is this good news? Is you know is the is this the good news? And let's uh, hear what Wolf Mueller has to
3: say. Whew, no. Oh. <laughs> All right. So, uh, what do you think? Well, here, the, the, boy, oh boy, this is a rat's nest. I went down the other day to try to put up a, a microphone up in the church uh, for doing this thing, and, and there was about fifty pounds of cords, and I was sitting there trying to untangle one for. And this is how this sermon is. I mean, you've just dumped a, a rat's nest into our laps, and we've got to try to, uh, try to sort it out. But let's, let's start here. Uh, uh, Warren is going to make a false distinction between sin and lack of love. Uh-huh. So he's going to say, look, David, uh, David sinned. He committed adultery. He committed murder. But he still loved God. No. In fact... The very definition of sin is a lack of love for God. Mm -hmm. It's almost like Rick Warren is saying, well, it's all right if you break the third commandment, uh, you don't keep the Sabbath. It's all right if you break the sixth commandment to commit adultery. It's all right if you break the eighth commandment and you bear false witness, as long as you don't break the first commandment and have other gods. Well, for goodness sakes, every time we break any of the commandments, we're breaking the first. Every time... We, 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 we steal or we lie or we uh, 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 murder or commit adultery or break any of the other commandments. Every time we break those commandments, we are, by definition, not loving God. Right. So, he's, so the first thing he's done wrong is he's set up this kind of false dichotomy between what we do and what we feel. Like, we can do all these outward sins as long as we have some sort of emotional connection to God. Well, these outward sins are a manifestation that we do not love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm -hmm. Now, then what he's done, so he's got that false distinction first. Then, how long can I go on about this?
2: Oh, as long as you need.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Then what he does uh, is, then he he tries to make love kind of a soft sort of thing. Um, so that all the other sins might be tough, but this sin to love is an easy one, and it becomes comfort. My love for, for God, it's easy to have a love for God. Uh, that's the easy part. And so that, it's comforting that maybe every day I don't do this and that just exactly right, but through it all I have a love for God. But this is also not true. In fact, the, the, one of the most terrible words in the whole Scripture is this word love, because it cannot be quantified, it cannot be measured, it cannot be, it cannot be kept. I mean, there is no time when I can say that I've done everything in my ability to love my neighbor. There is no time that I can say that I've loved the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and all of my strength. I mean, it, it might be true that I can take a Pharisee kind of definition of the law and say I didn't murder anyone today because I didn't stab him in the back. But the law of love doesn't let me get off the hook. Right. The law of love says, well, you didn't. did you feed him? Did you clothe him? Did you give up your life for him? Did you serve him in every way possible? And so love is always condemning us. Uh, the fact that we don't love is, is always, is always uh, the, the worst news that we could possibly have. Right. And this maybe gets us to the third mess of the sermon, is that Warren is equating God's love for us with our love for God.
0: Right. Uh, Well, I think it goes a little deeper than that. I mean, he literally says that God will forgive us if we love him with all of our heart. That's kind of a a terrible contingency, if you ask me.
3: Right. We're forgiven not because we love God, but because God loves us. Mm -hmm. We're, We're holy not because we love our neighbor, but because Jesus has made himself our neighbor and has given up his life for us. I mean, you could just do a little... We play this game on Table Talk Radio called Law and or Gospel, and we were playing the other day with just one word... And, and so we actually took the word love, and we said law or gospel. And the answer to that is it depends.
2: Right. It depends
3: on, on, on who's doing the loving. Mm-hmm. If, it's, if it's God's command for me to love him and my neighbor, then that word stands as the harshest and fiercest law. Right. But if it's the love of God for us, like we have in this beautiful text, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. If it's God's love for us, which is Jesus on the cross, that's God's love for us. Then it's the sweetest gospel. So we can say it's not it's not our love for God which somehow merits the forgiveness of sins. That's Roman Catholic uh, kind of Trent style right. to say that we got to mix our love in with faith to merit the grace of justification and stuff. No, I mean let's get let's get to the scriptures which say that it's God's love for us uh, that gives us Jesus dead on the cross for sins and therefore uh, makes us holy and perfect uh, and gives us life and the promise of, of the resurrection to eternal life well
0: apparently uh, you're not going to be doing the 40 days of love at your church anytime soon
3: <laughs> what a mess that guy is I mean you know when he says this is both confusing and comforting I mean he maybe, this, uh, maybe Warren himself has an idea that he's confounding law and gospel in there right um, And so you should go meet with him again and straighten him out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first time didn't take, so.
0: (laughs) All right. There's my, uh, there's Brian Wolf Mueller weighing in on Rick Warren's 40 Days of Love and whether or not he's getting law and gospel right and whether or not we heard the gospel. And last but not least, this is the tougher one to listen to, just because our audio equipment wasn't wasn't leveling out right. But again, this is uh, this one is uh, Pastor Craig Denofrio's uh, response after hearing Rick Warren talk about the gospel and whether or not we heard the gospel. Was this good news, Pastor Denofrio? Here we go.
3: All right, there you have it. That's horrible news. Oh, it's horrible news. Why? Why is that horrible news? He just said that
0: Jesus died for our sins, and all you have to do is love him, and you'll be forgiven.
3: Because Rick Warren hates Jesus. <laughs> not only does Rick Warren hate Jesus, but we all hate Jesus.
0: Okay, so you're not just uh, singling him out.
3: No, but he's the one spotting off, so he gets it first. Um, you know, the deal is this. If he truly loved God... We wouldn't sin, or we'd, we'd at least feel a lot more guilt for our sins than we do. Mm-hmm. We sin all day long without even thinking twice about it. We gossip. Our tongues cut people deeply. We don't even think about it. We talk behind people's backs. We tell lies. You know, we, we cheat. We do all sorts of things.
0: Well, speak um, for yourself. I'm, I'm, I'm almost perfect.
3: No, no, I work with you. I know you. <laughs> <laughs> too much time with you. you you're the worst. But, <laughs> but, uh, all right, I admit it. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it, this is a religion that's about me. Yeah. So if I love God enough, then God's going to love me back. How can I ever be sure that I love him enough? How, how will I ever be sure that I truly love God enough? And the answer is going to be by my works. Yeah, that's why i got to go to
0: Rwanda and join the peace plan and uh, be a small group study leader and, um, you know, recycle.
3: So will our works ever bring us enough comfort, though? And the answer is there is no, because our works are imperfect and we know our own hearts. So we either have to delude ourselves into thinking that we aren't sinners and that we actually do have God, or we need to find a God that's merciful to sinners who spit in his face all day long. And that's the kind of God that I have.
0: Uh Uh-huh. So so that's different. So then your God forgives you even if you don't love him with all your heart?
3: My God loves me in spite of me not loving him. You know, I I think the greatest parable is the prodigal son. Because the son basically spits in his father's eye, takes his money, goes out and squanders it, he whores around, he becomes a drunk, he parties hard. He blows it all. And he comes back deciding that, you know, it would be better for him to be a slave to, than to eat pig food like he was wanting to do. Mm-hmm. And, and he comes back, and before he can get a word out of his mouth, his father runs down the road. He throws his arms around him. He throws his robe on him. He throws his ring on him. He says, kill the fatted calf. My son's home. And he restores his inheritance. And all that this little ingrate did was spit in his father's eye. Wow. He came to his senses and he said, Maybe I could come back and be one of his slaves because his slaves eat better than me. And before he can even ask to be a slave, he's restored as a son.
0: Oh, well, that sounds like too much good news to me. I mean, without the law, we don't have any leverage to make people be nice and do good things.
3: Well, that's the question. And and I know I've heard you talk about it is, the, is it the law or the gospel that, that causes us to do good works? You know, uh, Romans tells us it's the kindness of our Lord that leads us to repent right. and And it's the gospel that drives us to our knees. When we see a Savior who loves us in spite of our vitriol and our hate, in spite of our malice toward Him, then we know that we've got the right Savior because he, He's the one who forgives all sin. And that's when we're driven to our knees and we say, how can I be hateful to a God who loves me as as Nagel used to say, tell very much. Mm-hmm. And uh, there he he displays that even as we're mocking him and, and stabbing him and everything else, he says, Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing.
0: Sounds like one of those Psalms. Uh, that, um, how's it go? Oh Lord, if you kept a record of wrongs and who could stand, but with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. Yeah. So, all right. Well, pa- thank you, Pastor Denofrio. I, I appreciate you coming on the program and uh, you know making it so that it, this isn't just you know Chris against Rick Warren, but uh, I'm seeing I'm seeing things here that are very concerning and alarming, and it sounds like he's taking away with the the left hand what he offered us in the right hand with the gospel.
3: Well, I wouldn't say that it's Chris against Rick Warren. I'd say that this is Jesus against false doctrine.
0: Amen. Thank you. All right. All right. So, uh, what was the purpose of that little exercise? Well, I called these other pastors up because I think it's really easy for people to say, well, Chris, you just have a vendetta against Rick Warren and it doesn't matter what he says, nothing he says is right. So I, I called three guys up without any warning and said, here, listen to this and tell me what you think. And all of them had the, came to the same conclusion. That is not the gospel. If... God's forgiveness of you is based upon or contingent upon you loving God with all of your heart. Then you are back in the law and you had better start getting to work loving God with all of your heart. And that means stop sinning altogether. Rick Warren says God doesn't want you to be perfect, he just wants you to love him with all of his heart. Well, if you love God with all of your heart, you wouldn't sin. That in other words, you'd be perfect classic example of doublespeak, classic example of mixing law and gospel. And that's not the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ has done it all for you and is offering you salvation and a complete pardon for every one of your sins gratis for free. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes and trusts in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. That's the gospel. That's what's missing from this sermon. That's the kind of stuff that we need to hear, both believers and unbelievers, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. If you would like to email me and let me know that you love God with all of your heart and that God forgives you because you love God with all of your heart, email me. Talk back com. love to hear from you and if you claim to be perfect and love God with all your heart give me the email for your spouse too would love to talk to him or her till next time God bless